It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarSports.media. And welcome to the show, everyone. We've got a great one for you today here on this Saturday, July 10th, as we look to preview UFC 264 Poirier versus McGregor 3, which will take place later tonight. Uh, as always, great to be back with you guys. Uh, I missed you guys. I missed you guys a lot. You know, we didn't have uh, the UFC last weekend. And to make matters even worse, I thought 264 was last weekend. And I should have known that's stupid because it's 4th of July weekend and the UFC never does a show for 4th of July weekend. But I'm terrible with holidays. I don't, you know, people get mad at me for not knowing Mother's Day or, or Father's Day and stuff like that. I don't fucking know holidays. What am I, a fucking Google Calendar? I don't, I don't know holidays. So... I thought it was uh, last weekend, and there's nothing worse. See, if there's no UFC on a given weekend, that's going to suck, but I can I can get past that. But it's when you think it's that weekend, you're like, oh, hell yeah, only three days away from seeing this epic fight card. This this epic, epic fight card, as kids would say. Probably not, though. Um, and then you're like, oh, no. no. No, we're 10 days away. Oh, well, that fucking sucks. So, whatever. But... It is today, so I, I'm very excited. You know, it's been a little bit since we've uh, we've done a show, and this is uh, I, I'm gonna say it's a good card in 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 general compared to a, a fight night. I gotta be honest, this is uh, not. You know, people are saying on Twitter and whatever. It's Twitter, so it's full of you know just the dumbest people on planet Earth. But holy shit, epic, epic stacked fight card. Yeah, not really, <laughs> not really. It's really not that stacked. It's it's a good fight night with a, a, a pay-per-view headliner. Um, so, yeah, but, you know, that being said, there are some nice fights on here. We'll obviously, obviously get to that. Uh, I just quickly wanted to get to some housekeeping because, obviously, it is uh, NSS 46, so it's the semifinals of the Bouse Cup playoffs. Uh, it's me versus Reagan, and it's uh, storming Gary Gooseman, versus Jordan. I don't have anybody's picks in. Uh, it is 1.23 p.m. Central Time, so, you know, there's still time, and I'll probably bug some more people about that, but uh, as of right now, we only have uh, one of the four locked in, so, you know, who knows? We might have some alternates getting into the, the fucking tournament, because, you know, you never know. If I had to guess, Reagan probably gets his pick picks in. Uh, oh, actually, Gooseman got his picks in. He gave me his picks yesterday. So, actually, uh, it's not so bad. Jordan's the one I'm, I'm concerned about. But, yeah, you know, whatever. It's what happens. You know, sometimes in real-life tournaments, people have to pull out. So, that's fine. But should be exciting. Uh, obviously, we'll have, like, consolation uh, matches. So, I, I have to figure that out. But, you know, Drew faces, uh, I guess, Captain. Because it was Jordan beat Captain. So, speaking of Captain, he's downstairs with me right now. He's in the studio. So, that's uh, exciting. We have an in-studio guest, Captain. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, 
updated rankings, obviously, and we'll get to the updated rankings, uh, you know, as we get to the uh, fight card, just, uh, you know, if there's any relevant ones. There are a handful of ranked fights uh, on this card, but, you know, I don't see any reason to waste any more time here, so, you know, let's get uh, right into it here, and we'll start actually with some canceled and uh, fizzled bouts, uh, only two of them, which is actually pretty good, considering I, I guess we still live in COVID times. And, you know, Tyson Fury is out of his uh, uh, trilogy fight with Deontay Wilder because of COVID, which never should have happened. He beat him twice. He beat him twice. Let's not... I mean, this is this is a discussion for another time that I've had many times before, but the why they're doing a trilogy is so dumb. Um, but actually, uh, we're missing Sean Brady and Kevin Lee uh, because Kevin Lee had a rib, in, in, rib injury. English is... Uh, difficult sometimes um that sucks that actually would have made it's crazy to say one fight like that would make the difference but if that fight was on this pay-per-view card I think it might go from slightly above average to good I mean that's a really good fight I mean Sean Brady's the size discrepancy is what's going to mess me up with this because Sean Brady is fucking massive for 170 he's massive I don't know how he makes it and Kevin Lee obviously he was very big for 155 but, you know, that's a pretty big gap there, 15 pounds uh, between Sean Brady, uh, or from, from Kevin Lee at, at lightweight to welterweight. So, you know, a big guy at lightweight, a big guy at welterweight, there is, a, a you know, a difference there. So I don't like the size discrepancy between those two fighters, but, you know, I really feel that would have been, um, that would have been a good, a hell of a test for Sean Brady, and that's not a walk in the park for, for Kevin Lee, you know, obviously uh, a little inconsistent if you look uh, past his uh, interim title loss to Tony Ferguson, you know, win some, lose some, great performances like the head kick knockout of uh, Gregor Gillespie, but, you know, then some uh, not-so-awesome not so losses uh, in there as well. And then uh, Sean O'Malley versus uh, Louis Smolka. Now, Sean O'Malley's on the card, and we'll get to him in a minute. Um, I like this matchup more than I like uh, his current matchup. You know, you got to do what you got to do to, you know, keep people on the cards and stuff like that. And, you know, this is not a massive card. I think there's only 12, 13 fights, 13 fights on this card. So, you know, it's not the it's not a 15-fight pay-per-view. So you got to keep people on. Um, and Louis Smolka is a veteran. I don't think he's that good, uh, obviously. Uh, he's doing a little better in his second runaround here in the UFC. I like him more at bantamweight as opposed to flyweight. I mean, a five foot nine flyweight. I'm not saying it can't work, but it it really didn't seem to work for him. Uh, but O'Malley would have would have whooped him. O'Malley's gonna whatever. I'll I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so we'll officially start here on the prelim opener, and it's gonna be in the middleweight division between Alan Amadovsky and Yaozong Hu. Amadovsky is eight and two. Hu is three and two. We'll take a look at the odds for this one via odds shark and Amadovsky is going to be the minus 140 favorite uh I don't really have too many uh you know hot sports takes on this one uh who is going to be five inches taller so that's uh noteworthy but Amadovsky is actually going to have a two inch reach advantage it's really tough the, the, these are the toughest ones to pick not because either fighter is good, but just because 
Uh, Amadovsky does not have a win in the UFC. He's 0-2 in the UFC. He got knocked out just viciously by John Phillips in his last fight in uh, September of 2019. So it is quite the layoff for Amadovsky. And then you have somebody who's 3-2. Now, I'm sure the reason why he got into the UFC is because he was proficient in some other martial arts. But, god damn, a 3-2 fighter. And he's on a two-fight losing streak, so he's also 0-2 in the UFC. Now, he fought at heavyweight. I think his last fight might have been at light heavyweight, so he's doing the old Jared Cannonier. So he's, he's down in a new uh, division. I don't know... I don't know anything about this guy. I don't know if he has to cut a shit ton of weight. I don't know if he made material life changes that would make his weight cut not be as extreme as I would think it would be for someone who was a heavyweight in 2017. He also has not fought since November of 2018. So an even even longer layoff for him. Uh, I'm going to go Amadovsky, but to be honest, I think both of these fighters should not be in the UFC. All right, moving on here. To the flyweight division, we'll have a fight here between Jalgas Zumagulov and Jerome Rivera. Zumagulov is 13 and 5. Rivera is 10 and 5. Uh, we'll take a look here at the odds for this one. They're going to have Zumagulov as the minus 350 favorite. Uh, so pretty heavy favorite over uh, Jerome Rivera. Uh, Rivera is five foot ten. That's probably the most noteworthy noteworthy thing about him uh, in the flyweight division. Very very big guy. Uh, Seventy two inch reach, sixty six and a half inch reach for uh, Zumagulov. And Rivera, he, you know, if you're five ten at flyweight, you're just built weird to begin with. But his waist is so tiny. It's so skinny, and he actually has pretty big legs for flyweight. Like I, I don't know. I'd love to know like the 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 weight distribution of Jerome Rivera. Like I like eighty percent of his weight is in his legs, and then he's just got, you know, a very frail uh upper body. So just very interesting. Uh I would favor uh I I am favoring uh Zuma Gulov in this one, but I don't like the minus three fifty odds on this because both of these guys are dogs. They're you know, they're both they're both scrappers. You know, that's the one thing you could say about Jerome Rivera is, uh, you know, his UFC tenure has uh, not exactly started off in the uh, the best way possible. He's on a three-fight losing streak. He was finished in two of them. Uh, so he's just lucky to be – he's lucky he's getting a fourth chance. I mean, if you lose two in a row and you're a debuting fighter uh, – well, a debuting fighter and then lose two – you know, there's absolutely no guarantee you're in the UFC three. You're probably overwhelmingly you're probably getting cut. But to get a fourth chance, you know, this this is it for him. So I imagine he'll bring it. Uh, you know, he, he is he is very energetic, and uh, you know, we'll sit there and scrap. But you know, the the flyweight division is not that deep. So you know, when you lose three in a row, he's obviously not fighting ranked opponents. That's a little bit concerning. Uh, Zuma Gulov is uh, 0-2 in the UFC. Now, I don't know if I agree with uh, his loss to Amir Albazi. Uh, that was a fight of the night, I guess, in my in my opinion. I guess that was UFC 257, so I'm trying to think if there was any other noteworthy like fight of the nights on there. And I'm sure there was, because it was a pay-per-view. But that was, uh, that was a good fight. So it's a little crazy. You know, both guys are looking for their... Uh, 
first win in the UFC, but he's a, he's a minus 350 favorite. I'm going to pick him to win, and probably by finish. I mean, if you get finished in two or three of your fights, I'm, I'm probably going to have to go uh, Zuma Gulov on this one. By uh, We'll go round two TKO. All right, moving on to the middleweight division. We're going to have uh, two ranked opponents here. Uh, between uh, Omari Akhmedov and Brad Tavares. Akhmedov is 21-5-1. Tavares is 18-6. and six. We'll take a look at the odds here. Uh, Brad Tavares actually is going to be the minus 170 favorite. We'll take a look at North Star Sports rankings. Uh, we have Omari Akhmedov at 10, and we do not have Brad Tavares ranked. I believe... Well, I could pull up the UFC rankings. That just seems like a lot of work. Uh, I think they have uh, Akhmedov ranked a little lower, and then Tavares. I want to say it's like a 13-14 matchup, which is a little crazy in, in, in my mind. I don't know about that. Uh, yeah, 13-15. That's fucking weird. I don't, I don't know about that. Um, but, you know, two ranked middleweights here, and two guys who are really just kind of spinning their wheels you know, trying to climb this uh, this division. Now, Tavares has been, uh, you know, racking up the, the losses. I mean, the, the shitty thing for Brad Tavares is, is I think the UFC likes him. Uh, so they use him often as a litmus test for, you know, young up-and-coming fighters. I mean, geez, you know, he had to fight... Uh, he fought Yoel Romero when he was seven and when Romero was seven and one. So you know, relatively new to the UFC, he fought Whitaker on his way up. Uh, you know, Adesanya lost to him, got knocked out by Edmund Shabazian. You know, so they really, uh, you know, they they really use this guy as uh, you know a, a, a stepping stool for young and talented fighters. Uh, he did win his last fight against uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. Uh, Shoeface. Not a good sign that Shoeface got cut after that fight. So, you know, it's never good when you're beating people. And because you beat them, they're now out of the UFC. And, uh, you know, he's got his hands full here against Omar Yakmedov. You know, I think this guy, uh, you know, I, th- I think he's he's pretty underrated. You know, he's somebody who's been in the rankings for actually quite some time. And uh, I think he got a little bit of shine because he fought Chris Weidman. You know, that's a noteworthy... Um, a noteworthy fight, but, you know, this is a guy who doesn't really lose that often. I mean, he's won, uh, good God, six of his last eight, and then had, had a draw in there with uh, uh, Marvin Vittori. So this this is a good fighter. You know, wins over uh, Ian Heinish, Tim Boach, uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who's just an absolute murderer, uh, you know, beat Tom Breeze in his last fight. I'm actually going to pick Omar Yakhmedov to win this fight. And of course, by decision, because that's the only way Omar Yakhmedov wins is uh, is by decision. I know he choked out Tom Breeze in his last fight, but Breeze really had a distinct lack of uh, IQ on the ground in that one. He really gifted the win to Omar Yakhmedov. Now, I think Yakhmedov would have won anyway, but, uh, you know, he does have pillow hands. He's There's a reason why they put him up against Chris Weidman, because, you know, they didn't want Weidman getting knocked out so he's he's just a he's just a grinder, you know what I mean? Like he just grinds out decision victories. And uh, you know, I, I just think he's better better than Tavares. I mean, I don't really know what to make of Tavares at this point in his career. Even if Tavares wins, I'd you know, he's got actually Brad Tavares has a, a longer average fight time than Omari Akhmedov. Uh Akhmedov only wins 38% of his fights by decision. 
Well, I guess, yeah. He actually kind of was quite the finisher to start off his UFC career. I mean, he, you know, I don't know. I guess he hit, hit a point in his career and just uh, didn't like finishing fights. But I think he's more well-rounded. He's pretty good on the ground. Uh, you know, statistically, these guys are going to be somewhat similar. I think, uh, well, it's tough to say Omar Yakmedov has had the tougher road because Brett Tavares has gone up against, like, Izzy. But uh, you know, I'm going to go Akhmedov by decision on this one. All right, moving on here to the women's flyweight division. We'll have a ranked fight here between Jennifer Maya and Jessica I. Maya is 18-7-1. Jessica I is 15-9. Taking a look here at the odds, Maya is going to be a moderate minus 200 favorite. I think that's fair. Uh, we'll also take a look at North Star Sports rankings. Uh, we would have both of these fighters ranked pretty high. We got Jennifer Maya at four and Jessica I at seven. Uh, appropriate fight and not not uh, out of the realm of possibility that the winner of this fight could be right up there. The winner of this fight could be in the on-deck circle for a, a title fight. You're not going to get a title fight, especially because both of these fighters have recent losses to uh, Shevchenko. You know, Jennifer Maia is not going to beat Jessica I and then get a, an immediate rematch, but Shevchenko runs through fighters all the time. She's a very active champ, and, you know, we've seen, uh, you know, like her last, like, four opponents. I mean, you just have to be ranked somewhere in the top ten and, you know, be on a winning streak. So... You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it doesn't take that much to get a flyweight title shot. So, um, you know, there are some stakes in this one. Not immediate stakes, but, you know, but not but not long-term stakes either. You know, it's not like, oh, you win this fight and you're, you're in a good spot for the title in 2024. No, I mean, you know, you win this one. Hey, maybe you beat uh, Cynthia Calvillo or something, uh, you know, beat somebody up there and, you know, you're, you're, you're sitting pretty. You're sitting pretty. Um... Both of these fighters are coming off of uh, losses. Jennifer Maya obviously uh, lost her last fight uh, to Shevchenko uh, in a title fight eight months ago. Uh, and uh, Jessica I, she lost to uh, Joanne Calderwood. And before that, Cynthia Calvillo, uh, her last win coming over Viviani Araujo uh, in December of 2019. Um... Definitely, definitely going to go with Jennifer Maya on this one. You know, I was really uh, encouraged by what I saw in, well, mostly round number one, but parts of round two against uh, Shevchenko. I think she had the right idea. She had the right game plan. Now, you're definitely not fighting a Shevchenko here in Jessica I, and you're fighting someone who racked up a bunch of losses at bantamweight, came down to flyweight, won three fights in a row, and, uh, you know, now she's just kind of, I think she's lost three of her last four. I, I don't know what the secret sauce was for uh, Jessica I. Uh, you know, I think, you know, right opponent, right time, you know, more more that as opposed to, oh, wow, she's an elite fighter. I don't think she's that good of a fighter, to be honest. Uh, you know, you look at what earned her a title fight. So here's, she goes on a four-fight losing streak at bantamweight. Losses to Tate, Pena, McMahon, and Betch Cohea. Okay, that's tough. There's some tough fighters in there. Fair enough. Comes down to flyweight. Split decision win over Kalindra Faria, who I think is 0-3 in the UFC. So just not... You, you, you split decision against someone who doesn't even remotely long, belong in the UFC. 
a win over Jessica Rose Clark, who? And then she got a title shot because of a split decision win over Caitlin Chukagian. Now, I'm going to look that up because I don't, I don't think she won that fight. I'm going to go to my favorite website of all time. Not really, but, you know, I respect them. And if they want to pay me money to say that, then I'll respect them even more. Uh, MMA decisions. Um, okay, they're pretty split down the middle. Pretty split down the middle. Although, when you look at the scores here, so there's like six, six or seven that, that are 29-28 for Jessica I. There's a 29-30 for Chukagian. Don't know how the fuck that happened. A couple, a handful of 29-20s for Chukagian, and then somebody scored it tw- or 30-27 for Chukagian. So, you know, that's interesting. Also noteworthy, I've never heard of any of these judges. Dr. Greg Jackson. I don't know who the fuck that is. Is that Greg Jackson from fucking Jackson Wink? I don't think that's... I don't think so. Benoit Roussel and Declan Woods. I've never heard of these judges, so I don't know. I don't I don't think I trust these judges. Far be it from me to question authority, but I don't I don't trust those guys. So, right place, right time. I think Maya's the better fighter. Uh, she was champ over in Invicta, so, you know, it's, it's more of a sustained thing with her. I think she gets it done. It's a female fight, so I'm going by decision, obviously. So, Jennifer Maya by decision. All right, moving on here to the middleweight division. We'll have a fight here between Drickus Duplessis and Trevin Giles. Duplessis is 15-2. and two. Giles is 14-2. and two. Very good fight. And that's the one thing I can say about this card. You know, we've gone through a handful of fights already. We're going to go through a handful uh, more like this. Not exactly the highest ranked fights, but the matchups I really like. I really like the matchups. And I like the I really like the matchup here. Trevin Giles, uh, Drickus Duplessis. Terrible fucking nickname for Duplessis. Still knocks. All one word. Fucking stupid. Um, Stature-wise, they're, they're both going to be uh, pretty much the same. Duplessis, an inch taller, two inches on the reach, two inches on the leg reach. It's negligible at, at middleweight, but you know, still an advantage for him. Similar uh, record-wise. Uh, and Trevin Giles, I got I to gotta pay respects to this guy. Now, he's a Houston cop, so I'm sure a lot of people don't like him. I think I've picked against him for almost every fight he's had in the UFC. And uh, he's been around since 2017. And the dude just keeps winning. He just keeps winning. You know, he had two guillotine losses in a row to Zach Cummins and uh, Gerald Mearshart after winning his first two. Comes out, gets a split decision win over James Krause. Now, that's very controversial. Very controversial. Uh, I think Krause won, but whatever. I can't fucking overturn the results of MMA fights. Knocks out Bevan Lewis and then has a win over the undefeated Roman Delizzi. So this guy just keeps winning. You know, this is a very tough test for Trevin Giles. And if he passes it, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he fights... Oh, you know... The loser of the Omariak Medov and uh, what's his nuts fight. Can't believe I just forgot that. But, but either way, you know, kind of a mainstay of the UFC. You know, at at this point, you know, stays active and and wins fights. Now Duplessis is one of my favorite unranked fighters. So unfortunately for Trevin Giles, I'm going with Drickus Duplessis. 27 years old, made his UFC debut against Marcus Perez and just. Absolutely smoked him. Just smoked him. Turned his. Now, what was it? Did he, 
he missed on like a spinning attack. I don't know if it was a spinning elbow or a spinning back fist, and then just got fucking blasted by Duplessis. Um, this guy's a finisher. This guy does not go to a decision. Doesn't matter. Uh, he, he seems to really like... He's got several guillotine chokes, several rear naked chokes on his uh, uh, resume over there in EFC, which is the top MMA organization in South Africa. He's got uh, a loss early on in his career. He was four. He was 3-0, and he lost to an 11-2 Gareth McClellan. Now, Gareth McClellan, I think after that fight, or shortly thereafter, came to the UFC because he got knocked out by Paulo Costa. So a UFC, he lost to a UFC fighter very early in his career, and then he lost over in KSW to Roberto Soldich, who is someone who I would imagine the UFC has a lot of interest in. I would love to see Soldich come to the UFC. He's a very, very good uh, European uh, fighter. I'm, I'm actually pretty surprised that he's not in the UFC at this point. Uh, Multiple-time KSW champ, maybe? Not a not super knowledgeable on KSW. I know he was champ in KSW. Um, so I, I, I like Duplessis. He seems like a very creative uh, striker, a good finisher, tough test here for Trevin Giles, but very concerning when I see somebody who has several chokes on their record and I see someone whose only two losses are from that choke. So I would I would hate to be cliche. I would hate to I would hate for it to be that obvious because MMA is so paradoxical. Uh that might that might not be the right word. Uh actually might be the correct word but not the correct word I'm looking for. Uh you'll have to forgive me. I've only had one cup of coffee today. Um so I, I would hate to be so cliche but if Duplessis has a bunch of guillotine chokes on his record and Trevin Giles has a bunch of guillotine losses, huh? Huh? I'm going to go Drickus Duplessis by round two guillotine choke. I mean, I would hate for it to be that obvious, but goddamn, if it's sitting right there in front of me, that's his weakness, that's his strength. Well, okay, well, you know, I could be wrong. I probably am wrong, but <laughs> I'm going to go Duplessis by uh, submission on this one. You know, because it's going to be kind of hard to finish him on the feet. Not impossible. And I think he has a potential to do it. But, you know, Trevin Giles, he only gets hit with 1.83 significant strikes per minute, 64% uh, significant strike defense. That's pretty fucking good, man. And again, I say this every time when we look at stats like this, but it's not like Trevin Giles is fighting in world championship fights and has these stats. But these are UFC fights. He's had like seven or eight or nine UFC fights and those are his stats you know against guys like James Krause and you know respectable opponents so eh, that ain't chump chains that's one of the lowest significant strikes absorbed per minute that I've seen uh for someone with this many fights in the UFC so tough fight but yeah I'm gonna go do plus this by submission all right moving on we're right uh, smack dab in the middle of the uh, the prelims here we have a uh, very uh, intriguing featherweight fight between Ryan Hall and Ilya Topuria. Hall is 8-1, and one, Topuria is 10-0. Uh, and 0. Take a look at the odds here. They'll have Topuria as the minus 240 favorite. Uh, neither of these fighters are ranked. We did have Ryan Hall ranked, I think, a couple of weeks ago, but then we, because of inactivity, unfortunately, because it's not Ryan Hall's fault. I feel bad for the guy. Very happy he has a fight here. Uh, you know, but we... 
rules are rules. You know, we got to have these rankings mean something. So we we pulled Ryan Hall from the rankings. I think if he wins, we'll put him back in the rankings. But, uh, you know, it's been quite the layoff there for uh, for the Wizard. Uh, but this, this is a very, very good fight. I'm just happy to see Ryan Hall back uh, in the, uh, the, the UFC. Uh, he's got a tough, tough matchup here. Uh, he's going to be three inches taller, an inch and a half reach advantage, five inches in leg reach. I love talking about reg reach. Jesus. I love talking about leg reach because uh, I think that's, uh, you know, an under-discussed uh, aspect you know, if Ryan, Ryan Hall wants to throw some uh, some leg kicks. Now, Tapuria is a submission specialist. 70% of his wins come via submission. And that's uh, almost tongue-in-cheek comparing it to Ryan Hall because, obviously, this is probably the most noteworthy submission specialist currently on the UFC roster. Uh, you know, probably the best BJJ guy on the roster. I guess it depends on whether or not you think Damian Maya is still active. Um Obviously, you'd have to pay respect to Damian Maya if he was still active. Then, you know, we'll, we'll go with him. But, you know, Ryan Hall is really, really good. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, Tapuria is, is going to be the better striker. I think a lot of people are going to be the better striker over Ryan Hall. That's just not his bread and butter. Not to say that he can't strike. He, he absorbs 0.96 significant strikes per minute. 75% significant strike, strike defense. I think I think a lot of that is because he he's on the ground and you know fighting people on the ground. But either way, you know that's that's pretty good. Doesn't really land a whole lot of strikes. Two point three two landed per minute, which is not terrible. But you know it's not he's not Colby Covington active. Um, so I, I like that. You know, either make Tapuria strike with him and, and look to take him down, or if I was Ryan Hall, I'd just fucking oh you want to take me down? Okay, just let him take you down. I mean, that's Ryan Hall's world. Uh, I think this fight will end up on the ground. Um, and that's where the that's where the fun begins. I honestly don't... It, it is MMA, so I got to be a little careful. But I really don't see a way how Ryan Hall loses on the ground. So I think the fight goes to the ground. I, I think he wins. He is so fucking slick, so dangerous on the ground. Uh, obviously known for his heel hooks. So, I mean, he doesn't... He just has to be on the ground. You don't even have to be on the ground, you know, with the slippery fucking heel shit he does. You know, he can be on his back on the ground. Like, against uh, BJ Penn. BJ Penn wasn't on the ground. BJ Penn was standing up and Ryan Hall was on the ground. Got tangled up. You know, did some slick jujitsu shit that would go over my head explaining it. And, you know, end result, he made him tap due to a, a heel hook. So, uh... I got Ryan Hall in this one. I mean, if Tapuria wins, it's either going to be decision or, or more than likely knockout. But, you know, Ryan Hall's a, a very cerebral, very smart fighter. I loved hearing him uh, talk uh, to the media. Excuse me. Uh, talk to the media uh, because this dude is just such an interesting uh, guy. Talking about ring rust. Uh, safe to say he's not a big believer in it, so I, I would have to I would have to believe that uh, you know we're in for a, a good performance from him. Uh, he is 36, and that's that's the worst part about Ryan Hall, uh, you know, and and the the mismanagement of his UFC career. You know, people just don't want to fight him, so he can't he can't fight. I really hope that changes. I really want to see how far this guy can go in his career. 
just because there there really is nobody else like him. Like he, he you know, so many people, and it's the, the right thing to do for most people, almost all fighters, you know, to mix the martial arts. That's, I mean, that is the name of the game after all, mixed martial arts. But, you know, and that's not to, you know, downplay, you know, the striking training. I'm sure Ryan Hall trains everything, you know, because he is an MMA fighter. But, you know, doesn't really mix the, the martial arts that much. You know, just kind of goes out there with his BJJ. Obviously, you know, he has, um, uh, you know, adapted it for MMA. But, you know, just goes out there and, you know, hey, I'm a BJJ guy. You know, be, try to beat me. Uh, he, you know, so he's 36. That That's really, really shitty because he's towards the, the, the latter half of his prime. The only good thing I would say is that he's not a bantamweight or flyweight. 36 is just ancient. You know, you can compete at featherweight, you know. You can compete up to like 37, 38. And then at lightweight, I mean, fuck, you know. Leonardo uh, Santos and and Francisco Trinaldo are still fucking going at like 41, 42, and they're strikers. So, you know, maybe a move up to to lightweight at the end of his career. And he's a BJJ guy. He hasn't taken a lot of damage. You know, look at Demi and Maya. If Demi and Maya was just a fucking, if he fought like uh, Vanderlei Silva, yeah, he's probably not still in the UFC at 43. But, you know, when you're a BJJ guy and you know, that's your style and you don't take a lot of damage and you're on the ground and you're not getting punched in the head. Uh, I think that style is conducive to having a long career, uh, you know, well into, uh, your, your forties in the UFC. So style wise, he's good. It's not like this is a, a, you know, Olympic level boxer coming over at this age. You know, it's, it's, it's the right style to have longevity. So all of this to say, uh, I'm going to pick Ryan Hall to win this fight. And uh, I am going to go... I'm going to go by decision. I'm going to go by decision. I, you know, you got to pay some respect to uh, to Puria. You know, if, if he's proficient on the ground, then that's interesting. Uh, you still got to give it to Ryan Hall on the ground. But, you know, he had a unanimous decision in his last fight against Darren Elkins. Unanimous decision over Gray Maynard, over uh, Artem Lobov. So, you know, having a little bit of trouble finishing fights in his last four fights... But you know, obviously the threat is is uh, is still there, and you know I think he'll uh, I think he'll grind out a, a decision. All right, we're gonna move on here to the welterweight division, and we'll have a fight here between Nico Price and Michelle Pajeda. Price is 14 and four. Pajeda is 25 and 11. Uh, Michelle Pajeda will be the minus 165 favorite. Uh, neither of these fighters are ranked. Um, again, just the the trend of the right matchups uh, coming together on, on this fight card continues here with this one, and there might not be a better example of Styles making fights than this one. I'd be pretty surprised if this one doesn't earn a performance bonus, whether it's well, I guess they're just performance bonuses. I guess they don't do knockouts of the night. and You know, you get your performance bonuses and your fight of the night. Could be fight of the night, but I have a feeling this one's not going to go long enough to earn fight of the night. I have a feeling it's just going to be a performance bonus for the winner. But this one is... Uh, you got two wild two wild and crazy fighters. Um, Price going to have a reach advantage. Uh is going to have a fucking crazy advantage. Uh, and I, I can't wait. Uh, 
I'm more excited for the the Michelle Pajeda aspect of this one as opposed to Nico Price, but I, I think they match up uh, nicely. Uh, Pajeda, you know, people people think of this guy as a clown, uh, a clown fighter. I, I don't think so. I honestly, I honestly think he's a top ten fighter in the welterweight division when he's semi-serious. Now, I don't want Michelle Pajeda to be serious. If he has to be goofy, then be goofy. But there's a difference between his fight against Chaos Williams, where he's doing some goofy stuff, doing some crazy stuff, you know, obviously being a showman, and the Tristan Connolly fight, where he's just being a, a fucking asshole. Like, it's, it's cool to be goofy, it's cool to be creative, but don't be a fucking dick about it, you know? He was a dick and gassed out against Tristan Connolly. That's the bad side of Michelle Pajeda. But I think he's kind of toned it in, you know what I mean, where he can be himself and still be an elite fighter. I, I really think this guy's a good fighter. Uh, coming off of uh, the win over Williams, like I, like I mentioned, uh, a rear naked choke win of Zalima Medayev, a win over Diego Sanchez. I mean, Diego Sanchez was getting his ass beat in that fight and cho- chose the, the, the coward's way out in that one. So, uh, really, he's on a three-fight winning streak. We all know it. Um, average fight time of 10 minutes for Nico Price and average fight time of 5 minutes and 50 seconds. Both of these guys average a knockout uh, per 15 minutes, or a, a knockdown uh, per 15 minutes. Um, I think the over-under on this fight was it a round? I guess it couldn't be a round. A round and a half? It was something super fucking, super low. Um, I'm going to say Michelle Pajeda wins by knockout. I'm going to say he wins by knockout. I think he's the better fighter. He's the more creative fighter. Got to kind of mind your P's and Q's with Nico Price. But, uh, you know, I, I haven't been that impressed with his last couple performances, to be honest. You know, he had the nice win over Randy Brown, highlight level, got brutally KO'd by uh, Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, had a win over uh, Tim Means, that's a very good win, uh, got knocked out by Jeff Neal, awesome upkick win over James Vick, got just beat like a dog against Vincente Luque, and then a no contest, uh, oh, a no contest, that was initially a draw against uh, Cowboy Cerrone, who is just beyond washed, so the fact that he went to a draw with Cowboy Cerrone is not good. Cowboy Cerrone is very, very washed. So, he's dangerous. You know, he's going to have a highlight level knockout once every two years. But, uh, I think he's in for a a bad night here against Michelle Pajeda. And I do not think it'll last very long. Alright, moving on here to the prelim headliner. It's going to be in the welterweight division between Max Payne Griffin and Carlos Condit. Griffin's going to be 17 and 8. Carlos Condit, 32 and 13. We'll take a look at the odds here. Griffin will be the minus 200 favorite. Uh, neither of these fighters are ranked, uh, but I could see why they chose this one as the prelim headliner. Obviously, Carlos Condit got a massive round of applause at the T Mobile Arena for the ceremonial weigh ins. Uh, former interim welterweight champion, and, uh, you know, Max Griffin. He's 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 been around for a little bit, so it's not like he's a new exciting young prospect. But I don't know. He just kind of he he's figured something out in in his last couple of fights. He is 35, uh, not a major concern, uh, you know, at welterweight towards the edge of his prime. 
as we have uh, Captain now entering the studio. What's up, Captain? What's up, dude? Captain will uh, he will be on this card, so we'll get his uh, we'll get his picks in. But um, yeah, he's got two straight knockouts uh, of uh, Ramiz Brahmaj and Kanan uh, Song. Uh, so he, you know, he kind of he kind of turned it around. You know, he was losing. I think he lost four of his last six. But you know, you got to watch out for some of these uh, some of these hot fighters. And uh, you know, Carlos Condit, I was not very uh, impressed in his uh, return. And uh, you know, even, even though it was a win over Matt Brown, it was it was old guy fighting. That's that's really what it was. You know, where you, you reach a certain point in your career, and it's just. It's tough to explain old guy fighting, but you know it when you see it. You know, uh, uh, Paul Craig when he fought Shogun Hua, where it's just, I'm just here to trade one for one. I look slow. I look, uh, I look not very limber. You know, it's it's uh, it's just that old guy phase of fighting, and that's where that's where he's at. And Max Payne Griffin is uh, definitely not at that old phase of uh, of fighting. So I think Condit's probably in for. Uh, uh, a rough, a rough night here. Uh, Condit's going to be three inches taller, but he's actually going to lose half an inch uh, when it comes to the uh, the reach. More of a well-rounded fighter than uh, Griffin. Griffin really wins by knockout or by decision. Both of them have pretty long average fight times. Although, again, like I said, you know, two straight uh, knockout finishes for Max Griffin. And the knockout of uh, Song Kanan actually was uh, was pretty pretty good pretty good uh condit he does have uh, pretty good defense 57 percent uh significant stri- significant strike defense only gets hit with 2.5 significant strikes per minute but max griffin 48 percent significant strike percentage and again that you know these stats are for condit's entire career i would love to see stats for his last th- four fights so i don't even you know that's that's probably some shit from back in like fucking 2006. So I don't, you know what I mean? Like statistically, Condit's gonna have the advantage, but really, if you isolate the last, you know, three performances for these two guys, I'm sure the stats are not, uh, you know, super amazing. So <sighs> that being said, I am gonna go Max Griffin by decision. I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's gonna get the knockout against Condit, but I, I think it, we're probably in for a pretty. Uh, substantial win here for Max Griffin in the uh, prelim headliner. All right, we're moving on here now to the main card. And in the main card opener, we have Sugar Sean O'Malley taking on Chris Moutinho. Uh, O'Malley is 13 and 1, Moutinho is 9 and 4. Neither of these fighters are ranked. Uh Sean O'Malley is the minus 900 favorite. Minus 900 favorite. That is a very big favorite. I don't know how that's even... Well, I know it's allowed, but that's... Uh, I certainly would never put money on a minus 900 favorite. That seems crazy. But Sean O'Malley has some of the dumbest sycophantic fans on the planet in any walk of life. So I'm sure a lot of dummies are putting money on Sean O'Malley, which is so beyond stupid. It actually... Yeah, well, whatever. But... Uh, I could not imagine, like, oh, I'm going to put $1,000 on Sean O'Malley so I can make $100. Like, how fucking stupid is that, betting betting a heavy favorite? Like, that's so dumb. 
Like, it is MMA, and Sean O'Malley is one of the most fragile fighters on the roster. So, you know, I'm sure if Sean O'Malley gets kicked in the leg a couple of times, he's going to lose, and then people who, you know, bet their life savings on, you know, some clown are going to be out of money, which is very funny to think about. But, yeah, like, I wouldn't... Dude, if John Jones was the fucking minus 400 favorite against... Volkan Uzdemir, I wouldn't put money on John Jones. Like, I would never put money. I don't understand. Now, if you're a hardcore better, I guess I get it. I don't understand putting money on on favorites. Like, why would you ever put a money on? Like, I would just look up and down the card. If I liked a couple of underdogs, I'd put money on underdogs to make money. But why? Why would you? That's so beyond dumb. And I bet you a lot of people are putting money on Sean O'Malley, which is just fucking crazy. Nothing. Now he's gonna brutally knock out Chris Mutino. That's just you know this guy is a guy who was going 500 on the regional scene. This guy is just some dude they found. Just literally, they, like they took a page out of Bellator and just you know how they uh, find cab drivers for Michael Venom Page to knock out so he can be on a ridiculous winning streak. That's what they did here with Sean O'Malley. They just found some bum, some cab driver. You know, Sean O'Malley's Patrick Kane, and, and this guy's a cab driver who who uh, stiffed him 25 cents. <laughs> so, you know, he's in, for a, he's in for a knockout here. Luckily, this fight isn't taking place in Buffalo, New York, but, I mean, that's, that's pretty much what it is. They just found some bum for him to beat up. So, you know, he's going to win, but nothing... Nothing would be funnier than Chris Mutino beating Sean O'Malley. I don't care how it happens. I don't care if Chris Mutino knocks him out. That would be funny. I don't care if it's a decision. I don't care if it's a split decision. I don't care if it's a submission. I don't care if it's an eye poke loss for Sean O'Malley. I don't care if Sean O'Malley slips on a fucking banana peel. I just want Sean O'Malley to lose. Nothing would be funnier than him losing to Chris Mutino. So, MMA gods, please. I don't ask... I really have never asked for anything from the MMA gods. I, I really haven't. Like, I'm pretty chill with whatever happens. You know, I have I have my favorite fighters. You know, the, the last couple of fights for Tyron Woodley have been pretty uh, upsetting for a, a, a T-Wood fan. But I don't pray to the MMA gods that Woodley wins. You know, whatever happens, happens. You know, it's a, it's the, 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 the circle of life. You know, he was on top and now he's not. But, man... This might be the one time where nothing would be funnier than this fucking rainbow-headed mop head losing to Chris Mutino. So, that'd be funny. I'm not even going to get into, uh, you know, strategy and stuff like that. Sean O'Malley's the better striker. He's probably better on the ground. You know what I mean? He's going to knock him out. There's no reason to even discuss X's and O's. I don't know how Chris Mutino wins by, you know... By the grace of God, Chris Mutino wins this fight, but short of that, fuck knows how he wins this fight. I, you know, he, he's in for it. He's in for it. But, uh, yeah, that'd be funny as hell if he lost because, you know, which it, it is a possibility. You know, I, I guess if I could give Mutino any advice, I don't know anything about the guy. I, I would just throw two leg kicks to Sean O'Malley and you're probably going to win. I mean, the dude is made out of fucking stained glass. He's made out of... He's a Fabergé egg. He's very hes very frail. So, I don't know. Maybe just go balls to the wall. But, yeah. Well, I don't know. Sean O'Malley by first round knockout. I, I just think he fucking beats up this cab driver. Alrighty. Moving on to an actual legitimate fight here uh, in the women's bantamweight division. 
Uh, we'll have Irini Aldana taking on Yana Kunitskaya. Aldana is 12 and 6. Kunitskaya is 14 and 5. Taking a look at the odds for this one, Aldana is going to be the minus 120 favorite. So uh, pretty pretty close. Both of these fighters are ranked. We'll have Aldana sitting there at number six. Kunitskaya at seven. Very good matchmaking. A plus from the UFC. Great job, guys. Uh, now Irene Aldana. I want to say she weighed in at one thirty nine and a half or something. She was way off. I think I think that's right. Three and a half pounds. Uh, so I'm picking Kunitskaya. If you miss weight by three and a half pounds, I'm picking your opponent. Not just because I hope you lose, which I hope Aldana loses, because if you... Three and a half pounds is fucking massive. So, if you miss by three and a half pounds, first of all, you're a dick. I mean, that's a lot. That's egregious. If you miss by... Like, some of those times where you miss by a quarter of a pound, some of those times I'm just like, dude, just fucking... Just let it slide. A quarter of a pound? Let's just let it slide. I'd never get mad at somebody for missing by a quarter of a pound. Half a pound... Yeah, you're a professional, come on, but whatever. But you missed by three and a half pounds, like, that's a lot. Um, also, it probably means that you're not doing very good health-wise if you're missing by three and a half pounds, or at least I'd like to think so, as bad as that sounds. I'd like to think that she's in bad health uh, because she tried her darndest to, to make the weight. I'd like to think that she didn't just, you know, she didn't just say, ah, fuck it. I'm feeling good, but I don't want to cut weight. I would hate to think that that's the reason she missed weight. As, as weird as that sounds to wish somebody had a bad weight cut, you know, you, you would at least, it would calm you mentally to think that, hey, at least you actually tried and didn't just give up when you could have cut more weight or could have actually made weight. We'll never know the, the real reason or how good the weight cut went unless somebody from that camp comes out and says it. So it is, I suppose, speculative uh, on my part, but I'm going to assume that Irene Aldana tried her best to cut weight, and if she tried her best and still missed by that much, uh, she is going to lose this fight. That's just, you know, people think missing weight is an advantage. You know, not really. Yeah, you will come in heavier, but you really had to suck yourself down to to be in a spot where you missed weight and are, you know, not you know not feeling super good. So. Uh, I think Aldana wins. Um, the ground game aspect of this is interesting. I don't know who I would give the advantage to on the ground. Aldana is going to be three inches taller, probably going to be fucking 30 pounds heavier. Uh, and Aldana is a good boxer. She's a good boxer. Uh, you know, Kunitskaya is a, a, a good striker as well, but, you know, Aldana is a, is a good boxer. More of a, a brawler because she does get hit with... 6.26 significant strikes per minute which is just holy shit thank god thank god I picked Kunit Sky because if I saw that stat I'm sure as hell ain't picking her uh, after seeing that now she does land 5.84 but to get hit with 6.26 and the worst part her significant strike defense is 61% yet she still gets hit with 6.26 so riddle me that Riddle me that, how your significant strike defense is actually pretty good. 61% is actually pretty high. But yet you get hit with 6 point... That just doesn't make any fucking sense. Kunitskaya lands 4.22, hits with gets hit with 2.6. So that's fucking like 3.5 significant strikes more getting absorbed by Aldana. That's just fucking insane. Oh, yeah, fuck it. We're going Kunitskaya by a landslide here, boys. 
We're going Kunitskaya 30-26 on this one. 30-26 minimum. That is just, that is not good. She lands more takedowns. Uh, the takedown defense for Aldana is 93%, which is higher than that of Steven Wonderboy Thompson, who we'll get to in a second. Uh, so that, that's pretty good. That's that's pretty good. But the striking stats, holy shit, those are really, really bad. Really bad. Yeah, we'll go Kunitskaya by a fucking landslide. All right, moving on here to the featured bout on the main card. It'll take place in the heavyweight division here between Ty Bam Bam Tuivasa and Greg, don't look up my legal history, Hardy. Uh, Tuivasa is 12-3. and three. Greg Hardy is 7-3 and three with one no contest. He's also a massive piece of shit. Uh, Greg Hardy will have a 3-inch uh, height advantage. He's going to have 5 inches of uh, advantage when it comes... A 5-inch reach advantage is probably a simpler way to uh, say that. Uh, taking a look at the odds here, Tai Tuivasa is going to be the minus 140 favorite, which is interesting. You know, I, I say this all the time when it comes to odds. It's not like God made these odds. So, you know, an, an expert panel, I, I assume, uh, of, of sports bettors probably set the initial odds, and then obviously they are swayed due to human factors, like people putting money on certain fighters. You know, that's why you see the odds always shift in the favor of Conor McGregor being more of a favorite as the fight comes closer to, uh, you know, it happening because, you know, the fans come, the Irish come, and they put a lot of money on Conor McGregor, and that, uh, you know, changes the the lines. So, there obviously, there are, are, are human factors, but I'm surprised, you know, I, I guess I figured Greg, Greg Hardy would have had a, uh, you know, a... a um, stronger fan base, but I guess he is universally hated, which uh, is rightfully so. Uh, I don't want to get in trouble, because stuff was, uh, I guess, technically never legally proven, but, you know, you could look up Greg Hardy if you don't know how much of a fucking scumbag that guy is. I'm really happy, because I think he gets brutally knocked out in this fight. I've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this with Greg Hardy. Now, he is, he is a, he is a good heavyweight fighter. He's not bad. I couldn't sit here and say Greg, Greg Hardy's a bad fighter, but... I was, I've been waiting for him to fight somebody who can knock him out. You know, the UFC put this guy up against complete fucking bums. Alan Crowder, a bum. Dmitry Smolyakov, a bum. Juan Adams, a bum. Ben Sassoli, a bum. They just give this guy bums. Jorgen DeCastro is a bum. Maurice Green is not good. So they just feed this guy terrible fighters. The only good fighter he's ever fought in his career, he's fought two of them, Volkov, who just played it safe and jabbed him from, you know, the next county over. And uh, Marcin Tabura, who uh, TKO'd him in December. So anytime he's fought a good heavyweight fighter, he's lost. Now, Bam Bam did get cut. He's on a winning streak since he came back to the UFC. He's very powerful. You know, Bam Bam is not like Juan Adams. You know, you look at some of those guys, Juan Adams, Jorgen DeCastro, they're just great big fat people who can throw hard. I'm not impressed. Every single heavyweight is that. Now, Tai Tuivasa is a great big heavy heavyweight who can throw hard, but he's actually good. Now, this th- clearly there's things he could work on because he's not the heavyweight champ, nor is he ranked, you know, nor is he on his initial, you know, stint here in the UFC. So obviously there are things to work on. He's lost fights before, but he's good. He's good. He's a good striker. You know, he's durable. He's very durable. I think he flatlines Greg Hardy. Now, that might be wishful thinking, but 
I think he flatlines him. I really do. I don't see this fight going to the ground. Greg Hardy's terrible on the ground. Tuivas is probably better on the ground, but he's not a ground fighter. I think he just flatlines him, and I'm going to laugh very hard and tweet a lot of mean things. Sorry for being shallow and pedantic, but uh, I'm going to be... I don't know. I'm going to be spiteful when he loses. I want to be very happy. So I think Tuivasa just absolutely flatlines him. He bit off more than he can chew uh, fighting an unranked opponent. You know, styles make fights. And, uh, yeah, I think he, I I think he's in for a a rough night here. Here's hoping. Here's hoping. Uh, None of the stats mean anything for Greg Hardy because he's fought absolute bums. But 86% of his fights, he wins by uh, TKO and... It's 92% for Tai Tuivasa. See, the stats actually mean something for Tai Tuivasa. 59% significant strike defense, only gets hit with three, lands 4.4. The stats for Greg Hardy mean nothing. Those are amateur fucking regional scene stats. I don't even care about that. But Tuivasa, round one, KO. All right, moving on here now to the co-main event of the evening. It's going to be in the welterweight division between Gilbert Dorino Burns and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Burns is 19 and 4. Thompson is 16, 4 and 1. Taking a look at the odds here, Wonderboy Thompson will be the minus 170 favorite. We'll take a look at North Star Sports UFC rankings. We'll have Gilbert Burns at uh, three. And Wonderboy Thompson at four. So, I uh, I really, really like this matchup here. This could easily, very easily headline a, a fight night. Uh, I, I think uh, I think this is going to be a good one. Now, I suppose the easiest way for me to start off this one is I'm picking Wonderboy Thompson. I'm picking Wonderboy Thompson to win this one. Um, I think he's a much better striker. Now, Burns has improved greatly over his last couple of fights, you know, when it comes to striking. Obviously, he gave Usman a hell of a challenge, you know, in the first two rounds with his striking. So, you know, he's he's somebody to watch out for. I think his power is a little overblown. I don't doubt that he hits hard. I don't doubt that he has power, but I wouldn't call him a power puncher. I wouldn't call him a knockout artist. He's He's a pretty technical striker who packs a pop. Obviously, his bread and butter is going to be BJJ. And um, I just think stylistically, it's going to be tough for Gilbert Burns. Wonderboy Thompson, you know, it's only three rounds, so nobody's going to gas in this fight. Nobody will gas in this fight. Both of these guys are used to going five rounds. You know, neither of these fighters will gas. So we're in for a good 15 minutes. I almost wish it was a five-round fight. I almost wish that it was a fight night headliner because I'd love to see it go five rounds. Thompson doesn't get hit. He doesn't get hit. Uh, he's very good at hitting people. So he, he he hits and doesn't get hit, which is the entire name of the game. But that's all fine and dandy. But his takedown defense, I want to say, I'm, I'm looking it up here, I want to say it's north of 90%. So this dude does not get taken down. Oh, okay, it's a little lower, 78%. But, like, okay, Gilbert Burns, takedown accuracy, 37%. Like, Wonderboy is very hard to take down, and you're never going to get the better of him striking. Only one person ever got the better of him striking, and that was Anthony Pettis. And I don't want to say it was a lucky shot, because that would make that would take away the win from Pettis, but it was a lucky shot. Like, 
with all due respect, giving full credit, I'm not saying that to take away credit. With all due credit to 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 Anthony Pettis, he won that fight, no doubt. But you know, Thompson's only ever been caught with one punch in his entire career that ever you know led to a finishing sequence. Obviously, he got fucking smashed by Woodley a handful of times in in, in their fights. But it's just Burns is going to try. Two point two one takedown. Uh, takedowns per 15 minutes on on average so he is going to try and he's very active on the ground and I don't doubt that he would be favored on the on the ground I would say Wonderboy Thompson's in for a bad time if this fight goes to the ground I just don't think it will he's so springy his footwork is the best in the UFC I think Wonderboy Thompson is the best striker in the UFC I, I just think he is 3.93 3.93 significant strikes landed per minute. Only gets hit with 2.73. Uh, you know, the Burns is still a, a positive differential when it comes to both of those stats, but but not as big. You know, he's just his oh his footwork is so good. His angles are so good. He's so quick. You know, he's he's got a variety of you know strikes with his with his uh, legs. You know, variety of kicks. I, I, I'm just infatuated with Wonderboy Thompson. And, you know, he had that quote-unquote rough stretch. So he's on a two-fight winning streak. Unanimous decisions over Jeff Neal and Vincente Luque. Two tough fighters. But, you know, he had that tough stretch where he was one, or uh, one, three, and one in, in five fights. Okay, let's look at that. Draw versus Woodley, who was the champ. A decision, a majority decision loss to Woodley, who was the champ. A win over Jorge Masvidal, a loss to Darren Till, which is the biggest robbery in the fucking history of MMA, and I mean that. There's no bigger robbery, and you guys know me, I don't use robbery that often. There is no bigger robbery. You could not possibly come up with a bigger robbery than Thompson versus Till. Steven Thompson won every single round of that fight, but Darren Till won that fight because it was in his home fucking town, and he they wanted him to be the next MMA superstar. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. I'll die on that hill. Wonderboy Thompson dominantly won that fight, and it was criminal. It's actually, actually, that's criminal what they did. That's beyond criminal what they did to Wonderboy Thompson. And then he got knocked out by Anthony Pettis. Okay, so really he was two, two, and one during that five-fight stretch, and two of those fights were against the fucking champ. Okay. Really, the only legit loss he has is to Woodley and, and, and Pettis. So, I, you know what I mean? Like, anybody anybody who ever got down on Wonderboy, like, why? Like, no, he's still he's still really, really, really good. He's 38, so you know, he's getting up there. This is kind of the last hurrah for Wonderboy, but he doesn't really take damage. And, you know, uh, he's, not a, he's not a brawler, so, you know, I think he's got a style that is going to be somewhat conducive to him, you know, I could still see him fighting when he's 40, 41. Like, you know, he's very, very good at, you know, point karate, which, you know, can translate to, to MMA, you know, at least in his case. So, you know, I don't think Wonderboy Thompson gets a finish. I think he wins by a, a decision, especially in a, a three-round fight. I think he wins by decision. But, you know, I could see him frustrating Gilbert Burns. Uh, I think he's the better striker. I don't think Burns is going to be able to hit him that easily. Uh, I think it's more likely that Burns hits him than it is he takes him down, but, you know, it's just stylistically. You know, a lot of the times when you look at grappler versus striker, grappler versus striker, you would favor the grappler. Holy fucking shit, I might have just had a stroke. 
uh, you would favor the, uh, the the grappler, but it's it's there's a handful of strikers that you would go, okay, if you're a, a BJJ practitioner and you're going up against me, you're fucked. You, you know what I mean? It's just it's not gonna go well for you. And and Thompson's one of those handful of fighters where it's just, I know how stuff usually goes between those two disciplines, but uh, yeah, Thompson by unanimous decision. All right, moving on here to the main event of the evening between Dustin the Diamond Poirier and the notorious Conor McGregor. Poirier is 27 and 6, McGregor 22 and 5. Take a look at the odds here, and Poirier will be the minus 120 favorite. We'll take a look at the North Star Sports rankings. Poirier will be the number one rated, uh, number one ranked lightweight, and Conor McGregor is the number five ranked lightweight. Uh, obviously a trilogy fight here. They uh, fought first in 2014, I want to say, uh, back at, what was that, UFC 176, something like that. And obviously they fought in January uh, for the rematch. Uh, so I guess we'll, we'll start off there with the timeline. I don't I don't like this fight happening in July. I, I really don't like it. I understand sometimes you got to strike while the iron's hot. I don't know what's going to change from January to July. That's not a long time in the grand scheme of MMA uh, schematics and planning and improvement. Neither of these fighters have improved since their last fight. I'd be you really can't. And that's not me saying that. That's you know because what the fuck would I know? But that's experts saying that. Like what could you possibly have trained in the last you know six months that would you know materially materially change? your skill set to beat you know your opponent so i i don't like that i wish they would have had a fight in between now the problem with having a fight in between is that you know if if one fighter wins and one fighter loses then the fight's not really feasible you know i get that i get that but i i just i, I don't like them coming back that quickly um it it really makes me want to pick poirier because he won in january what what could you possibly change what are you going to do differently you know you hear a lot of people making a big deal about, well, Poirier is going to throw in wrestling because, you know, the first time he threw in leg kicks and now he's going to throw in wrestling. He did throw in wrestling in January. He, he shot for a takedown and landed a takedown. I think that uh, could not be understated, you know, when it comes to uh, throwing McGregor off his game. I don't think he expected that. I think, I think McGregor can stuff Poirier's takedowns, but, you know, when you're not expecting it, we saw what happens. You know what I mean? Connor's got good takedown defense, but it was a brilliant move there by Poirier. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know what Connor's going to change. Now, Connor's never lost twice in a row. So, after every loss, he avenges that loss, or at least gets a win. But the thing is, I don't like how he's been acting, and I, I hate to look into this too much, but he seems too angry. We saw what happens when Connor's ang- angry. You know, it's kind of like uh, Cody Garbrandt. Like, Cody, when he's angry, gets knocked out every time. You know, he gets knocked out twice by Dillashaw. He's just not, him- he's not himself. But when he's happy and dancing, you know, then, he- then he's clowning on Dominic Cruz and having a performance for the ages. You know, Connor, when he's relaxed and when he's... Uh, he could still trash talk, but when he's, you know, more jovial, he's knocking out Cowboy Cerrone in 40 seconds. He's knocking out Jose Aldo in 13 seconds. 
But when he's angry, like, look at how it went for him in the Khabib fight. Like, I just get Khabib vibes from this fight. And that's nothing... I understand it's nothing quantifiable uh, strategy-wise. You know what I mean? Like, this... It's more of a feel. It's more of a vibe. You know, because it's nothing... Him being a dick to him at a press conference doesn't exactly have anything to do with what X's and O's wise he's going to do to him in the, in the octagon. But it, it's just so reminiscent of the Khabib fight where it's like, I think I think Poirier is really under the skin of Conor McGregor. I really do. I think Conor's shook. I don't think it's Poirier that's shook. I think he's taking it in stride. You know, I, I think it's Conor. Like, there, there's no, it's it's asymmetrical, the, the trash talk. You know, Poirier's chill. Yeah, he made a couple of jabs, but he's he's chill. It's Connor the one. It's so one-sided that it almost seems like bullying if it wasn't, you know, two cage fighters who have fought twice and are going to get in the cage and fight it out. You know, it's like, it's one thing if Connor's like, oh, you motherfucker, and then Poirier's like, oh, you're a fucking bitch. I'm going to kill you. But it's just like, you know, it's just like Connor being like, oh, you're a fucking cunt. And then Poirier being like, oh, I'm happy to be here shout out to that cancer kid from uh, Lafayette you know he's the real fighter like it's so like one sided that it's like dude what the fuck are you doing like it's not you know what I mean so I don't know he seems just way too strung out you know getting into it with RDA and it's like I don't know man like Connor's known for being like very mentally strong and you know having the the correct mentality when it comes to you know having the Mamba mentality you know double champ uh, mentality and, and things like that, but it's like, I don't know. This just isn't this isn't the Conor McGregor that we know did all those great things. It's it's the Conor McGregor that got his ass beat by by Khabib. So that just really really throws me off. And I wanted to pick Conor McGregor because uh, I, I think uh, I don't know. I mean, listen, listen. You know, there, there's a lot of. Connor jock riders and there's a lot of Connor haters and you know there's not a whole lot of people in between I'm in between you know I can appreciate what he's done I appreciate the trash talk I enjoy when Connor McGregor fights but I'm not a Connor nut rider you know what I mean so I really wanted to go with Connor McGregor but I just don't see you know from how he's acting which you know is an insight into his mental state and the fact that dude we fought we fought already this calendar year we fought already this calendar year and you know we saw how it went i just don't see how it changes the, the only thing is mma is is there's so much parody in it that you know hey you fight you know 10 times you know you're going to win 6 of them lose 4 of them you know it's it's you, you you could tear your acl in the first minute you know it's so there's so many things that can happen that you know Kind of like how what Ryan Hall said. One of the things that really intrigued me about what Ryan Hall said, um, you know, is, uh, uh, you know, sorry, I got very distracted by a, a, a message there. <laughs> Let me regroup. But one of the things that that Ryan Hall said was, you know, this is not basketball. You know, you, you compete seven times, you know, in a seven-game series. You know, the winning team is going to win four times. The losing team is going to lose three times, but they still won three times. I mean, you know, when you're going at it that many times, you know, yeah, you're going to lose some, you're going to win some. The best basketball teams, you know, are, are still going to lose 20, 25, 30 games, uh, you know, a year. So it's like, 
yeah, if we were in some simulation and, you know, we could simulate on July 10th, you know, Conor McGregor fighting Dustin Poirier a hundred times, yeah, I don't know what the fuck the number would be. Who knows? Like, I, I don't know, but it's just, you know, it's it's not shaping out well for him, it, it's, it, it, in my mind. I think it'll be a close fight. I would be fairly shocked if it goes the distance, especially because Poirier knocked him out in round two. You know, I assume he'll make some uh, adjustments, but both these guys are finishers. I think they both, uh, you know, hit. uh, They both hit hard. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, Poirier's been in some wars. He can take damage. Obviously, Connor's, you know, been in some wars. And, you know, he's been in five-round battles where he takes damage, but I think there's going to be a finish, and I think it's going to come from Poirier. Uh, I'm going to say it's it's later, though. I'm going to say round... I'm going to say round four, I'm gonna say, which is pretty late. Pretty late. We're almost getting to round five. We're almost getting to the final round. So I think in the championship rounds, Poirier is going to, going to finish him. It's just... Man, I, I just have a tough time building the case for McGregor other, other than it's Conor McGregor. Which is a fucking... Uh, I'm not trying to... It's a fair argument. You know what I mean? Like, hey, this is a, the guy who was the double champ. Like, you know, he's conquered higher, you, you know, odds. You know, he, he's achieved great things. But... And then, you know, it's more for the recap show. But where the fuck does Conor go from here if he loses? Like, wow, he's always going to be Conor McGregor. He's always going to sell out arenas. Losses don't affect his pay-per-view, uh, you know, buys. But it's like the fuck does he do if he loses does he box Manny Pacquiao does he like wow he's gonna be ranked like number seven number eight like who the fuck does he he's not gonna come back and fight Islam Makachev he's not gonna come back and fight fucking Brad Riddell so like what the fuck does he do like so you know there's a lot of interesting things from this uh we've gone very long on this uh we passed the, the 70 minute mark so uh we're gonna wrap it up here uh we might even have the recap show later tonight uh, we'll have the recap show uh, later tonight. We'll have updated rankings, uh, updated results from the main card showdown. Uh, so, yeah, with that, check out our website at northstarsports.media. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. Follow uh, the mailman at Owen the Mailman. And follow North Star Sports at North Star M I N. Thanks for tuning in, everybody.